Well, it's great to see you tonight, and uh, I hope you're ready to get into the Word. Are you ready? All right, grab your Bibles, please, and open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about what is going to be the difference maker in your life. This is a subject I will tell you every so often I will keep reminding you of, not necessarily the same message, but the same subject that matters deeply in your life. It's the difference maker in your life. It's the difference maker in your testimony. It is the way that you approach life. And I want to talk to you about that right now. And uh, I want to read to you the first four verses, and then we'll kind of walk through the story. So 1 Kings chapter 19. So just to set the story up, just so you know, this is immediately following a great, great miracle. So there's a prophet of God, Elijah, and he has taken on the prophets of Baal and other prophets that are in Israel. And he has defeated them and cast them out. And God has done a great miracle on the Mount Carmel. And so all the people now are recognizing that there is one God and his name is Jehovah. This is a high point in his life. And in chapter 19, we see from this highest point in his life that Elijah then is faced with a difficult circumstance, a challenge to his faith, and all of a sudden, everything changes in his demeanor to the point where he runs from the things God's calling him to, God finds him there, has to correct them, and then send him back out onto the mission God has called him for originally. So in chapter 19, starting at verse 1, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So as you stop there for just a moment, I just want you to understand something. Mount Carmel is all the way in the northern part of Israel. Beersheba is in the southern part of the lowest part of Israel in the region of Judah. And he has run completely from his ministry calling all the way down to a place where he knows Jezebel can't find him because she is the queen of Israel, but not of Judah. So he runs for safety. Even after God has shown up so mightily just a few moments before this, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about what it is that will make a difference in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the next few moments that you have given us together to really open up your word, but more than that, to allow us to open ourselves up to your word so that you may change what needs to be changed in us and accomplish the things you've purposed in your heart to do in us and through us. Anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was an article um, a few years ago when it was about a young man named Johnny. Johnny worked at a grocery store. And Johnny went home every day, loved his job, and went home every day, and he would get on his computer, and he would write just a thought for the day, slogan for the day, something positive for the day, and he would print out about 50 or 60 little strips of paper and then just um, print them out and take them to work with him. Johnny bagged groceries at the grocery store, and so every day he would put Johnny's thought of the day in the grocery bags. And so it became so popular, one day the manager came out, 
And as he came out, he looked and uh, have, you, have you ever been at a store where it just seems like everybody's bunched up at one register and you think, why will they not open up any more registers, right? I don't think I could call names like Walmart, but you know what I'm talking about, right? So, so they, they go to the manager and say, he, he says, okay, let's open more lanes. And he starts moving around. He's making the announcement or whatever. And, and some of the um, customers go to him and say, no, 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 we're good. We'll wait right here. We're good in this lane. We want the thought for the day. Pretty soon that began to catch on in the entire um, store where the floral department, if they had a, a flower that was crushed or ruined, they couldn't use it in arrangement, they would clip the end of it off and go find somebody that they could give it to to kind of make their day. If there was a balloon that didn't match something, they would find a child and give that child the balloon because everybody wanted to emulate the thing that Johnny was doing. The manager said that Johnny has single-handedly transformed everything about this store. Johnny, who has Down syndrome, changed everyone else's perspective. Because of the attitude that he displayed in encountering people. As a matter of fact, they've done studies on some of this. Uh, the Carnegie Institute says that they analyzed the employment records of 10,000 people. And what, here's what they found. 15% of success is about your ability and your training. 85% of success is based on personality, of which the main characteristic of personality is your attitude or your approach to life. Commerce Magazine interviewed top executives, and what they found was they discovered that factors like availability and knowledge and adaptability and appearance, those made up for 30% of the most successful top executives. 70% was in the approach to life or their attitude. John Maxwell says it this way, attitude, there are two questions when you ask about someone's success. Can they, that's ability. Will they, that's attitude. I love how Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on all of life. Attitude is more important than fact. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. He says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. Attitude is best measured by our response to challenging circumstances and challenging people. This is where Elijah finds himself. He is challenged by the circumstances and he's challenged by a person. Jezebel is out to get him. He has ruined her, what she wanted to do. She wanted to bring in idolatry into Israel and had done so. And he stood up for the right cause of the Lord and eliminated that and the people are now following the Lord. She wants to do away with him. And so this same man who called upon the Lord to rain down fire from heaven and called upon the people to rid themselves of this idolatry. This same man is running from the queen because she says, if by this time tomorrow you're still alive, may the gods in heaven that she serves, she said, may they do to me what I want to do to you and what you did to the prophets of Baal. And so he's fearful and he runs. He runs as far as he possibly can and still remain in Israel. I mean, you can't get any closer than that. As a matter of fact, when the Bible talks about, when it talks about the extent of north to south Israel, if you ever see the phrase from Dan to Beersheba, it's talking about the length of 
Israel. He's as far as you can get south without being in a foreign country. He's afraid. He is, he is disappointed. And he winds up having a conversation with God. And God asks him, what are you doing here? And he says, I stood up for you. You're not doing anything for me. I'm the only one left, and I, should, I might as well just die right here. Now, here's the irony of that. If he wanted to die, he could have stayed where he was. But he traveled south to avoid it and then complained to God and became sort of a drama queen or drama king. But, but that's what attitude does. Now, here's what I want you to understand. As we get into attitude, I, I'm not talking about pop psychology attitude. I'm not talking about the, the idea of um, what I mean is the approach you take to life. What is it that undergirds you, that, that changes your perspective or formulates your view of the world and of people? I'm not just talking about having a, copping a bad attitude, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I had, my father was, you just didn't do that to him. I, I remember one time I woke up and I was just giving my mom grief as a teenager. My dad walked in. He said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. He said, well, go get back in the bed and get up on the other side. <laughs> I'm not talking about that type of attitude adjustment. I'm talking about the deep down core of what you believe about God and his purpose for your life and how it changes the outlook that you view your circumstances and you view the people that you come in contact with. Let me give you, if I can, some principles of attitude formation, all right, according to Scripture. Number one is this. What is in me determines what comes out of me. What is in me determines what comes out of me. Here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts of lust, theft, murder, adultery, wanting what belongs to others, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, pride, and all other folly. All these vile things come from within. They are what pollute you and make you unfit for God. He's having a conversation with people who are talking about what you should and should not eat. And he says, you're focused on the wrong things. I'm telling you, what's inside of you is what's hurting you. And what's in me determines what comes out of me. Let me put it to you like this. If you, if you go to the refrigerator and you, you grab an orange out of the refrigerator and you cut it in two and you squeeze it, there is no reason that you should think apple juice is going to come out of that. B because it's made up of something. What's in it comes out of it. And listen, when you squeeze it, it comes out. Can I just tell you something? It's usually when life is squeezing the hardest at you that what's really inside of you comes out. You can put a mask on it. You can, you, can, you can try to fake it. But man, when it gets tough in life, it literally shows what is deep down at the core of inside of you. It's inside of you. So what's in you determines what comes out of you. But here is the, it, it, I don't want it to be uh, condemning. It should be liberating to you. It's number two is this. For the most part, I choose what goes into me. I choose that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 23 and 20, 22 and 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
I get to choose what goes inside of me. Now, you can focus on the negative things all you want to. You can say, well, yeah, you know, and, and you should. You, should you, you need to be careful about what you, what you look at, what you listen to, the things that you allow in your life. But you also need to be intentional about the things that you allow in your life. For the most part, I get to choose what goes in me. Here, here's the thing. I've never had anyone hold a gun to my head and say, you better watch that show. You better listen to that music. You better read that book. You better eat that piece of cake. Whatever you do, you know? I've never had any. Those are choices that I make and you make all of the time. But you do that over and over again. You build up a reservoir that out of the reservoir of your heart, the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks and the attitude will come out. And it's usually when life is squeezing you the hardest. Now, what's liberating about that? It's number three. I choose my attitude, but this is sobering, and I am solely the only one responsible for it. The phrase that we love to use, you make me so what? Mad. Okay, First of all, mad was not even meant to mean anger. The word mad means out of your mind. That's what the word originally means. And we just incorporate it. Basically, we've said, it's because of you I've lost my mind. The things that you're doing are making, driving me crazy, making me crazy. You make me so mad. No. Can I just tell you something? Somebody can harm you. They can frustrate you. They can be mean to you, but you get to choose how you respond. Can I get an amen? Now, it's easy to amen in here. It's in the circumstances that it's difficult. Now, this is so important because the depth of what I believe determines the scope of my outlook on life and my reaction to people and circumstances. So if that's true, I want to talk to you for the next couple of moments about how you develop a good attitude, a good base of knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong. So let me give you a couple of things. The first thing is this. Clean up the garbage that fills your heart and your mind. Clean up the garbage in your heart and your mind. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of a reverence for God. There are probably some things that you need to pray about and ask the Lord, what are the things that are in my life that are barriers to your holiness in my life? I'm not here to give you a litany of those. I mean, Jesus kind of gave one. You can read back over that. But I'm not here to tell you what those are, but I guarantee you this. If with a sincere heart, you ask the Lord to identify those things, he will identify those things. And you will follow him. You clean up the garbage that's in your life. Clean up the things that are holding you back. What are the things that are standing in the way of the righteousness and the holiness that God has called you to? For the most part, some of you need to pray deeply about these things, okay? 
Some of you may be sitting here and kind of go, I got two right now. I got them in my head already. Or some of you might need to read his word a little bit more so that his word will settle in your heart. King David said, your word I have hidden in my heart for one reason, that I might not sin against you. If you want to make a difference and stand out in this world, live holy. People will notice. You don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to tell them about your holiness because holiness literally means living different than the world. So clean up the garbage that's in our lives. And the second one is this. Don't try to have a good attitude. Train for one. How many of you ever heard of Michael Jordan? Yeah, basketball player, probably the greatest ever. He said this about playing basketball. He said, you can't turn it on and off like a faucet. He said, I couldn't dog it during practice, and then when I needed that extra push late in the game, expect it to be there. But that's how a lot of people approach life, and that's why a lot of people fail. They sound like they're committed to be the best they can be, and they say all the right things, make all the proper appearances, but when it comes right down to it, they're looking for excuses instead of answers. You have to train for it. So how do you train for it? I'm going to give you two ways you train for it. According to this passage that we're reading and according to the Apostle Paul. So an Old Testament and a New Testament. The first one is this. Fill your mind with right thoughts. So notice we said get the garbage out. It's not just enough to take out wrong thoughts. Because if you just eliminate wrong thoughts, you're left just being empty. You've got to fill it with the right thoughts. Elimination is not the goal, okay? Elimination just leaves you feeling empty. It's putting the right thoughts in that results in exponential multiplication of your faith. The right thoughts about these things. Here's what God did um, when he's complaining to God. He's telling him there are all the reasons. God says, look, I'm going to help you. And he just keeps complaining to God. In verse 15 through 17, listen to what he says. The Lord told Elijah... Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint, which that's um, Ahab and Jezebel, they're king of Israel. Okay, so he says, anoint this guy. He's going to be the next king of Israel. And then he says this, he says, And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphath, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. That had to sting. <laughs> Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. You know what God's essentially saying? You've been whining and complaining that I have left you. You've been whining and complaining that you were all alone and there's nothing else and I don't know what I'm doing. I've got a plan. I've got a plan for you right now. I had a plan for you yesterday, and I've got a plan for when you are gone. I am completely and totally in control. Some of the right thoughts you have to understand is no matter what you face, the person or the circumstance, God is completely and utterly in control of your life if you will surrender to the call that he's placed on your life and surrender to the leading of his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are going to be difficulties that come your way, but God is not surprised. He's not taken aback. He's not worried, and he's not afraid. He is completely in control. 
control of your life. And the right thought that you have to understand is, I have to get that deep down inside me so that I can believe that the direction he's called you to, you will go and be successful in his name. Over and over again, he reminds us that he's in control. Paul tells us in Philippians, remember, he's sitting in a jail cell. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's not being poetic. He's not trying to write eloquently here. He's saying, put the right thoughts in your mind. Put the right thoughts about God in your mind. Here's the real question. He's saying, what do you know to be true? Even when everything else looks like it's going by the wayside, what do you know to be true? And I don't have time. You can go back and listen to them. I can send them to you. You let me know. I just want to read you some passages. They're not even going to be on the screen. I want to read you some things that God says about himself that the Bible tells us that are true about the Lord, no matter who comes against you and no matter what circumstances you face. Psalm 33 says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down, and he sees all mankind. Psalm 68 says, praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. And there's a word that says selah. That, that literally means pause and think about that for a minute. Daily bears your burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. John 3, 16. I hope you have this memorized. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. Psalm 117 tells us, For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Psalm 86 says, but you, O Lord, are a God of full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. John 15 tells us, greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for one's friend. And Ephesians 2.4 says, but God who is rich, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. You've got to know the truth about who God is. Let me just tell you something. You need to go do a little bit of research in your Bible. And listen, you don't have to work that hard. Go Google it. You can find somebody who's already listed out the truth about God's love, the truth about God's power, the truth about God's grace. And you need to make a list of those things. And when you have those circumstances, you've got to fill your mind with the right thoughts and the truth of God's word so that in that moment in time, you can stand firm and be faithful and you can know that God is in control of your life. You've got to fill your mind with the right thoughts. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to fill your life with the right people. With the right people. 
Paul goes on in the first part of verse nine and he says, and whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So here's the question, who do you know to be faithful? Look at what God tells Elisha after he told him all the other stuff about he's being in control. He goes back to the thing Elisha keeps complaining about. I'm the only one left. And he says, and yet I still have 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed their knee to Baal. I still have a remnant. And that remnant is bigger than you can ever imagine. Who are the people you need to surround yourself with that make you want to be more like Jesus? You know, that's why the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What do you meditate on? And let me define that for you. Because some people have a problem with the word meditation. I'm not talking about transcendental meditation. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Meditate is turning something over in your head over and over and over and over again. But if you fill your mind with right thoughts, you begin to turn the truth about who God is over in your mind. And instead of worry and fear, now you have boldness and courage, not in your own ability, but in the immutability of who God is, who never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And who do you surround yourself with? There may be some people you need to uninvite out of your life. But that's not mainly what this is about. Once again, if all you do is eliminate and subtract, you're just left being empty and lonely. You need to intentionally put people in your life that build you up, that speak life into you. If all you've got in your, in your life are people who just continually complain and worry and fear, you need some people that are going to build your faith. Some people that when you have genuine concerns, maybe they've got more experience in following the Lord and they've got testimonies how God has been faithful to them. And for a while, you live off their testimonies. One of the greatest things that ever happened in my life was one of the, the, the churches that we were involved in before I ever got called into ministry. It was a church where we were in our 20s and the median age of that church was probably around 62. Our best friends were 65 and 64. Best friends. Do you know what the best thing about that was? We were so young, we had no experiences. And they just kept telling us about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and how he's been with them all of their lives. And do you know what we did? We lived off their testimony of faith 
until we had enough experience of walking with God and we had our own testimony of faith. You need to put people in your life intentionally that will build you up and help you even in those most difficult times. What do you truly believe? Do you truly believe he's good? Do you truly believe he's great? Do you truly believe he's got a plan for your life? Do you truly believe that no weapon formed against you shall ever prosper? Do you truly believe that nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Do you truly believe that perfect love can cast out all fear? Do you truly believe what the word says about you, that you are a son or a daughter of the king, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people belonging to God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life? Do you truly believe those things? Then there ought to be a holy boldness that can rise up within you even when people come against you and even when circumstances are bad. What do you believe? Because I'm gonna tell you something. Every single person in this world is gonna face difficult problems. And when they see you living differently and living in a Christ-centered way, it changes. It opens doors. Because all of a sudden, when you go through circumstances, they might, ever, they might not ever open their Bible, but they've seen with their own eyes what you have faced. And they may not even realize it, but because of the street cred you have and the circumstances you're facing, they're going to ask you how you're dealing with it. And that's an open invitation to share the love of Jesus Christ, to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have within you when people ask. And that's available. And in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of prayer together. And in that time of prayer... Here's what I believe. I believe that the Lord is going to meet some of you at your point of need. I believe some of you just need to come forward and get someone to pray with you and say, you know what? I need a different, I need, I need, I need something different deep down core. I need to believe different things. And I need the Lord to help me get the courage to believe that truth. Some of you may need someone. You've got such negative people in your life. You just need to come forward and have somebody that has faith just agree with you in prayer tonight, whatever that is. Because I'm telling you, it'll change the way you approach life. And what will rise up in you as your attitude has been anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ is faith. And that faith changes things. Let me pray for us for a second. Father, in the next few moments, I pray in Jesus' name, that faith would rise up within us. Lord, I don't know the circumstances of every person that's in this room, but you do. I don't have the power to meet their needs, but you do. And so, Lord, we are surrendering to you now every need that we may have, every circumstance that we may face, every difficult person that is in our life, and we are surrendering that to you. Lord, well up within us truth, the truth about who you are. And Lord, help us to agree together in faith that you are enough for every need that we face. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.
I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And if the prayer team, if you could do me a favor, please, just leave this section right here just open, if you would. So prayer team, just come forward and take your place, please. I'm going to invite those that have a need, whatever that need is, whether that's a physical need, whether it's emotional need, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whatever that need is, I'm going to invite you to come and bring that need to the Lord. I feel particularly led tonight to pray for a certain group of people. As the Lord laid this on me during worship tonight. If you are facing a physical illness and fear is racking your mind right now, I want you to come down right here and I'm gonna meet you right here. I believe the Lord has specifically anointed me to pray for that tonight and I'm asking God to give you victory from that fear tonight. If you have a need, we're here, but if you are facing a physical illness, and you've got fear trying to well up, I want you to meet me right down here. I believe the Lord's going to do something tonight in this place right now. Let's worship together and believe together, and let's pray together. If you have a need, come.
Pastor Lance, just to lead us one more time in that bridge and that chorus, because what I want you to do here is leave this place singing how great God is. Do you believe God is great and greatly to be praised? Come on, give him your highest praise right now. Amen. Let's sing together. You're the name above all names. You're worthy. You are worthy of all. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He is great and greatly to be praised. So glad you were here tonight. And um, I hope you'll be here this weekend. Uh, a couple of things I want to remind you of. This Saturday, 8 a.m., is our second Saturday prayer. And I uh, would love to see you here as we just pray over our services and over our church. And uh, just believe in Sunday's going to be great. And I uh, hope you'll be here. Be, bring back, bring a friend with you. We're going to start a brand new series called Sheepish and look at how does God want to take us, lead us, guide us, and protect us, and how do we lean into all those promises God has for us. So I hope you'll be a part of that as well. Let me bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great remainder of the week.